Shepherd's Church. So as you might be able to see, last year we talked about the church, right? We talked about being called out of the world and then being sent back out into the world. This year we're going to be doing, uh, we're going to be, the entire year is going to center around the theme or the concept of, of vitality. And there were a lot of words that went around and I was trying to figure out how to uh, accurately express what it was that I was thinking. And then finally, finally, after uh, going through a thesaurus for three days, and I, that is not a joke, going through a thesaurus, finding the exact word vitality was, was just was just, oh, that was it. You see on this side, we've got the quote of Jesus where he says, abide in, or where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. And one of the, one of the things we want to be focusing on is the fact that, you know what, we, we are connected to Jesus. That's great. That's, but it's not called, we're not, this theme of this year isn't connected because it isn't the connection that, that is the important part. The connection makes the important part possible, which is, which is that Jesus supplies us with all the life and energy that we need in order to become fruitful. Okay, the connection doesn't matter if we aren't vitally uh, uh, intimate and uh, with him and allowing his life to move through us. On this side, we have the quote of Jesus where he says, whoever, whoever believes in me will have uh, uh, living, uh, I'm sorry, rivers of living water, okay, flowing up out of his heart. Uh, the concept there is, and, and man, I used a waterfall, and that seems kind of wrong. It probably should be like a geyser just blow, blowing up through the ground, you know, because that's, that's what I envision inside of our life is that, is that the, the power of Christ, when we come to accept him, it, it comes inside, and it cannot be contained. Who, what man can contain the power and the presence of the Almighty? And so he, when he dwells in us, it just bursts out of us. It cannot be contained. His joy, his hope, his peace, all of it. And so we're going to be talking, I want to focus on that this year, this concept that the life of Christ lived through us is what we are here for. Not just being connected, not, not just doctor, not just what we're supposed to do, but the life of Christ lived through us. And so we've been talking so far about this new year and new being a new you in a new year. And we talked about being released from your past, which is, which is great. We talked about that the first week. And then we talked about, well, when you're released from your past, what happens then? And, and that was rebirth. We talked about that last week, about how we are born of God, born to power, born to victory, and born to righteousness, that that really the life that we're supposed to live now should be so radically different and transformed from the life that, that was before. So different as, as an infant in the womb and a child living in uh, the world as we see it. it. It is that drastically different. But this week, once you are reborn, once you are carried from death into life, you are uh, uh, bore by Christ, bared, born, carried by Christ into this new life, what is the next step? What is it that happens to us? And this next step is the step of restoration. We must be restored. Uh, though we are redeemed, though his blood has ransomed us and bought us back, though he has set us free from sin, we still come to him as we are broken, 
and sinful, weak, afflicted, whatever other words you want to use. We come to him in that condition. No, Now, right, eternally as God looks at us, yes, we, when he looks at us, he sees us washed in the blood of Christ. We are made righteous by his work, what he did on the cross. We, when God looks at us, he sees all that, we, all that we are. He sees his son, Jesus. And so we find ourselves completely and utterly saved when we come to Christ. But then we begin the process of being restored. So a couple of years ago, I don't know, 10 years ago maybe, we went out, Jenny and I, and we went to a, uh, a furniture store and bought our first dining room table. We had tables. I mean, just little tables, round tables. When you have six kids, that, that doesn't work. You need, you need a, a table table. That didn't make any sense. So we need a dining room table. We went out and found a nice one, and we found one that... Uh, 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 would seat everybody, and I really liked it because it was, it was uh, heavily varnished on top uh, because I, I knew that, it, I mean, let's be honest, people and coasters, they don't work. I don't know why people can't use coasters. So I, was, I got something that if they put the cup on it, it wouldn't leave rings and all that. It was fantastic. So really happy we got that. We went and had it. So it made it all the way through. I mean, all the way through when we were living in Iowa, it stayed the same. Everything was fine. Then we moved here, and um, Bella, Bella likes to, to paint and uh, likes to, likes to, <laughs> so she paints, and she would put her canvases down, and she'd be painting on there, and wouldn't put any newspaper down to protect the table, and so paint got all over the table, uh, and there's dried paint everywhere, and, and I saw that, and, and I, I wasn't happy about that, and so when I wasn't home, Jenny told her, well, hey, you, nail polish remover will take off will take paint off. And so Bella went and got nail polish remover and went about to remove the paint from the table. Problem is, nail polish remover takes off varnish and stain and everything else. So now we have a table that has nice, big, old, ugly white patches of no stain or varnish. So it's really nice, dark, Dark, uh, dark brown and shiny, and then pale and matte. It's just it, 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 all throughout the whole thing. Now, at some point, I'm going to have to go in, and probably not as long as Bella is still in the house. But there will be a point when I will go in with some remover myself, and, and I, will, I will clean off all of the varnish and all of the stain off the top. I will, I will get out a sander, and, and I'll put effort and work into, into sanding it back down, making it nice, re-staining it, re-varnishing it, so that her kids can ruin it again later. That is the process of restoration. My table is not as I bought it. It is not as it was created. It has been altered and affected, changed. Uh, uh, it has, it, it's been stripped, and, and that's why I like that, that whole thing. You know, it's been stripped of some of what it was supposed to be. Some of what it was has been removed. Restoration, I will go in and I will, I will return it to the state in which it was in the beginning. That is the process of restoration. It's the process that you and I are in. In the garden, uh, when God created man and woman, they were perfect. They were sinless. They were without any, any sort of blemish. Sin comes into the world. And for the, all of us, every one of us, though we're not born guilty, we are born broken. We are born into a broken system where sin reigns and takes hold of every human being. 
So we are born into this system. We are born enslaved to sin. But Christ, it wasn't enough just to rescue us from sin. See, this is how good of a God we have. It's not that he just came and said, you know what, I'm just going to buy you back from sin. I'm going to redeem you. Whatever words you want to use, I'm going to bring you back to God. It's that he looked and he said, you know what, I'm I'm not not only am I going to buy you back, but I'm actually going to take the time and the effort to restore you to what you once were. So let's read in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 to 19. Paul writes, let sin, therefore, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members as instruments, uh, members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but prevent yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So, So once we have been reborn, here we go. And your members... To God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? No, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now, what I call restoration is what the Bible calls sanctification. We were holy, pure, unblemished. Sin changed that. And now the Holy Spirit is where once we have been reborn, we have been justified in the presence of God, meaning that we are saved, but we are not yet sanctified. We begin a process where the Holy Spirit is placed inside of us so that we can, over time, be restored to what it was that God intended for us to be. So he gives us miraculous uh, spiritual gifts. He, he speaks to us. He moves within us. All of these things happen in order to make you and I move towards that perfection. Now, we are, as long as you are in this sinful body, you are in the process of being sanctified. We will never, we'll never, we'll never completely be there until we stand before God in that moment, changed, as it says, in the twinkling of an eye. But that process is important. God dwelled in the presence of Adam and Eve. Sin, sin drove him from them. And so now, the Holy Spirit is working within us to make us a vessel worthy of God again. And that is, honestly, we think that Christianity is about saving. And and, and it is. It is. Don't get me wrong. That's an important part. But we are saved in order that we may be 
sanctified. The life that we live as Christians right now, it is, it is not a, we have been saved. Now we are being sanctified. That's what we're doing. That's what we're here to do. And I want to talk about this morning, how, how do we uh, open ourselves up to the sanctification? It is the Spirit that does it. I want you to understand that. There's nothing, you, you can't make sanctification happen. It is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. But you can allow Him to do the work. There's only one thing in this life that can keep you from maturing in Christ, and that is you. You are the only one that stands in the way. So I want us to look at what we can do, not to sanctify ourselves, because we can't, but to open ourselves up to being sanctified. Let's read Psalm 31, because David here talks about it. We're going to see what we're, basically the points we're going to make are right out of this passage. He starts off by saying, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So right there, he's beginning with this concept of that one, the one who has been set free, the one who has been cleansed, the one who has been reborn. That's where we begin. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in, the, surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I, and, the, and then the tense changes. Whereas it's been David talking to God, now God starts talking back to David. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you in upright heart. So in here we see David talking about freedom and then about transformation that takes us from from the birth to being joyful, to to being able to experience his peace and his hope and the joy, uh, everything that is promised in Christ. It grows in measure the closer we grow to Christ. So let's look at at what he talks about here. The first thing is the first way that you actually open yourself up and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you uh, uh, more uh, is that you exercise freedom from sin. You exercise that freedom. In the cross, you were set free from sin. But I had a professor one time, he used this example to kind of explain it. We were in dungeons, dark and dreary moldy and mildewed, no light. 
with chains around our arms that, that held us to the wall and chains around our ankles that held us to the floor. And day and night, no matter how much we struggled, no matter how much we, we, we tried, we could not get free. But then in one moment, we are offered a way out. And we call upon the name of Christ. And by his powers, the chains break upon our wrists and our ankles, and they fall down upon the ground. In that moment, we are free from sin. But he said, how sad is it that so many Christians who have been set free continue to sit where they were. You and I have to make that choice that we are going to exercise that freedom over sin. We will not allow sin to have its way over us. We will not be controlled by it. We will not be slaves to it. You and I, we're going to make mistakes. There are things we're going to do. We're going to mess up. But sin has no power over you unless you give it to it. It had it before. It does not have it now. The only way you stay in that prison is if you stay in the broken chains. And what are those chains? It's the chains of guilt. The chains of shame. The the chains of fear. When Adam and Eve, who were in the presence of God, made their mistake, they they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when they heard God coming, what was it that they did? They hid from Him. They hid their sin. And there is its power. Sin makes us feel ashamed and guilty and soiled and tainted and ruined and broken. And we don't want, if we are Christians, we do not want anyone to think that way of us. We don't want to believe that of ourselves. So we hide it. We hide it from each other. We hide it from God. And that gives it power over us when we hide it. That gives it the power to heap that guilt upon us because we as Christians continue to walk in the presence of God. But when we hide our sin, we cannot hide it from Him though we try. And the, he, David, what does he say? He says, when I, when I stayed silent, when I did not talk about my sin, when I did not admit it, when I did not share it, he said, your hand was heavy on me. There was, a, there was a burden that was upon him. And he says, my strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. That, that sin is the weight. You are free. You are free of condemnation. If you are free of condemnation, that means that you are free of guilt. If you are free of guilt, that means that you are free of shame. 
Your sin, your mistakes, they are not who you are. As Paul said in that, in that passage we read at the beginning, though, Romans, he says, does that mean that, that, that we continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. That's not the way. We are set free from sin, so we should not continue in it any longer. But that is the point. We are free of it. So I have no problem as a preacher standing up here and telling you that there were times in my life when I was promiscuous, when I was rebellious, when I was a drunk, when I abused drugs, when I abused people, when I stole, when I, when I maligned the character of other people. There were times in my life when I sought only what was good for myself, despite what it meant to my family or my wife. There are times in my life, and continue to be times in my life, when I am exactly what I don't want to be. But do you know what I will not be this morning? I will not be ashamed. Because when I give in to the shame, it has power over me. And I am free. And the only way that I stop sinning, the only way I become what I'm supposed to be, is by not allowing it to have that power. I will not be ashamed. Do you look down and say, oh my gosh, we've got a pastor that has some problems. What are we going to do? Let's go talk to the elders because we got some. Let's go find us a pastor that doesn't have any problems. Nah, you just want to go find a. You just want to go find a, 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 a pastor that his problems have control of him. It, the sin controls what he says and what he admits and what he confesses. I'm not controlled by sin. You should not be. We are not ashamed. I am not guilty. If you feel like I should be guilty, if anyone feels like you should feel guilty for your mistakes, that's their problem. That is not yours. Christ set you free. It's time to walk in that freedom. So Paul in his letters, what does he do? He talks openly. Do you think Paul regretted? I I do. I, I think he regretted being a part of the stoning of Stephen. I think he hated that. But you know what? He talked about it. And he, he, what's funny is, he never stops and says he's sorry. Do you ever notice that? Do you know why? Because he doesn't need to tell you he's sorry. It has no power over him. And he won't let it have power over him. So he talks about his mistakes and his problems. And he's able to, he's able to focus on what it is he's supposed to do. 1 John 1, 9-10 says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What is he saying there at the end? If you do not own up to, move beyond your sin, then his, there's no power in you. There's, his word can't change you because you won't admit what needs to be changed. What an idiot I would be. We can end, we can end, that, we can end that phrase with pretty much anything. And it would be, what, a, what a fool I would be to be shot 
taken into the hospital. As I'm bleeding out, the doctor's like, where's the gunshot? And I'm like, there ain't one. It ain't there. What kind of? Just to hide it and let it kill me. No, see, we, we've got to, we, so we've, we need to do the second thing, which is this, is that we need to make Christ our focus. This is, this is all about him. It's, it's not about the other people around us. Um, it, 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 meaning, meaning, you know, like Paul said, we're, we're not here to please men. We're here to please God. They, they, he's, our, he's our focus. He needs to be the thing that we are focused on every morning, every evening. He needs to be the reason and the motivation behind everything we do, even work. Everything. It, when he is the focus, then we stay on track. It's when our eyes get diverted into something of this world that we get into trouble. So you have Peter and the disciples are on the boat. Jesus uh, has just finished feeding the 5,000. I believe I have the order correct. And he sends them on their way, says, tells them to, to, to go across, to get in a boat and go across. And he goes up on the mountainside to pray by himself. Um, they go out, the waters get choppy, it turns dark, and, and they're, they're, they're afraid for their lives. And then in the middle of the water, they see this, this apparition coming towards them. Uh, and, and they're terrified, they think it must be a ghost, they're crying out it must be a ghost. And then one of them realizes, no, they, look, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. And Peter, God bless Peter, he, he, just, he just looks and he goes, hey, Jesus, is that you? If it's you, tell me to come out there with you. It looks like fun. And so Jesus, Jesus says, all right, come on. And Peter, he doesn't even hesitate. He's so childlike sometimes, which gets him into trouble sometimes. But he jumps out of that boat and he starts walking to Jesus. And I can just imagine him going, this is cool. And he's looking at Jesus and they're meeting eye to eye. And he's walking towards him. Jesus is still walking towards him. But then his, his gaze. He sees the waves and the wind. Starts to focus on those things. And the moment he takes his focus off of Jesus, he starts to sink. Jesus reaches out, grabs him, pulls him up. And says, oh, you of little faith. There are a lot of things in this life that are going to try to take your eyes off of Jesus. When you get up in the morning, Satan wants you the first thing to be thinking of all the things you have to get done at work. He wants you to think about all of the aggravation, all of the, all of the heartache. He wants you to think of the illnesses that, you, that, that you're experiencing or loved ones you're experiencing. He wants you focused on financial problems. He wants you he, anything he can to get your mind off of Jesus because he knows when you take your eyes off of Christ, you will sink. You want to be changed. It starts with putting that focus squarely and straightly onto him. In Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. 
We don't belong to this world anymore. Jesus said a lot of different ways, right? Do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink. Do not worry about what you're going to wear. Don't, fo- don't worry about the, the, the people that aren't, aren't paying you back the money you lent. Don't get distracted by the junk of this world. Keep your focus on the things of heaven. Do not seek the treasures of this world where thief can break in and steal and moth and rust can destroy. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Focus on what matters. David there, he says, I acknowledge my sins. You set me free. I confessed. You forgave me. And he says, you know what? Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you while you may be found. Peter says, Peter says resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So we did just get back, right, just a couple of weeks ago uh, from my parents' house. Um, as we're heading out, men, this is, this is men. I, we, got, we got an issue here, but it, it, it's actually an annoying issue that is relevant to this and will help us. The moment, so we, we pack up, we've got the trailer ready to go. We're heading to my parents' house in Wisconsin. Uh, we've got a 12-hour drive ahead of us. Everything's happy, everything's nice, and, and oh, is, is everybody ready? Everyone, everything's together. The moment the front wheels leave my driveway and hit the road, I think of one thing and one thing only, my parents' driveway. That's all I think about. And I'm gone. And every, every turn I am, every turn I take, I'm on the GPS. What's the quickest route to my parents' driveway? That's where I want to be. I don't... I don't want to be at McDonald's. I want to be at the driveway. And so I am driving, and all of my focus is on that. Men, right? We do this when we take these trips. Our focus is on that. But about two and a half hours in, my kids, their focus isn't on that. Mine is, I'm thinking that driveway, theirs is on their bladder. And I got to stop. I'm not, and I'm, there's not a dad that's ever been like, I'm let me stop for you. This will be great. A little rest, a little... No! What do we do? We turn around and say, get in there. You have five minutes. Five minutes and I'm pulling out of here because we got to get to that driveway. I got to get there. Boom! Because we're focused on that. Worst thing that ever happened with the dad is when no one else is thinking about that driveway either. Okay, all right. I get it. I get it. We got to go to the bathroom. But, but you better be thinking about that driveway because if we stop... We get back on the road, and 30 minutes later, another one of you got to go? Then you're looking at the kid going, what's wrong with you? That's messed up. We were just, I didn't have to go. So we have this rule. When we stop, you go. I don't care if you're faking it. You're going. Everyone goes in. I don't need to go. Stop it. Go. You're wasting time. Why is this? Because our mind is focused. Our mind is focused on where we want to get. Whatever you're focused on, it shapes. It shapes everything else you're doing. Now, the good thing is, when I focus on my parents, it makes me kind of impatient. But when we focus on Christ, it has the opposite effect, right? It, 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 it makes us more, more like him. When our, when our mind is on the things that are above, it, it filters through and affects everything. See, all of the busy things that I have to do at work, 
when I, when I make the day about Christ, the worry and the burden and the stress, it, it just all kind of rolls away. I'm not saying it doesn't make it hard. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have, a, 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 you know, a tough day at work. It just means that it just changes the feel of the day. So you keep, you maintain your focus. When you do that, that's when the transformation really begins. Last thing, last thing, is that you need to follow the Holy Spirit. I know we are 20 minutes over, but I am following the Holy Spirit. I'm going, I'm, I'm going to keep doing that right now. The Holy Spirit is doing this work of sanctifying. He's doing this work. He is communicating to you. He is guiding you. He is leading you. He is trying to get you. He's telling us what it is that we need to do in order to to become what it is that God created us to do. Because if we knew how to do it on our own, we would have done it on our own. But we don't know how to do it on our own. So we have to, and I put follow because it is not enough. I hear people say, we just need to listen to the Spirit. Yes, as long as you follow him. James says, do not, he says, do not, do not be deceived. Do not be uh, uh, hearers of the word only. Be hearers and doers. That's when it matters. Listening to the Spirit only matters if you actually do what he says. And as we do what it is that he asks us to do, that's where we begin to change and things begin to move and to become different. We follow him. So Galatians 5, uh, 5, 16 to 25, put it up here. Uh, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I want to explain that last one because I'm going to be honest. Until recently, that, 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 that escaped me. If you want to be alive in the Spirit, it comes from being close to the Spirit. If you do not keep in step with the Spirit... His presence fades from you. If you are alive with the Spirit, stick with Him. Follow Him. 
He is leading us down a path. He is leading us to be what God wanted us to be. I want to be more like Jesus. Do you, do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want to experience his peace, his joy, his love, the patience that he has, his kindness, his goodness? I want all of those things. And that only, only happens if I f- trust him and follow him. Not just listen, follow him. This is the process of sanctification. It is the process of being restored. It's what, it's what David was talking about. Right? He says, he says right here, he talks about with the, with the falling of the Holy Spirit. He, uh, God says, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be like a horse or mule. The horse and mule, they belong to the master, but he's got a tug on them to get them to do what they're supposed to do. Don't be like that. Don't make me me put a bit in your mouth and turn your head. Listen. Follow. And when you do, it says, steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. So be glad and rejoice. Everything we're doing is supposed to be about life and transformation. That we are to be made in his likeness. We're going to sing our song of invitation. Would you stand with me? And if you have any need, if there's anything, if you feel a call of God today to respond, to no longer hide, and I'm not talking about even sin, just no longer hiding your, your, your fears or your worries because the, anything you hide has power. This is a moment, expose them. I promise you there is no judgment from up here. There's none. There's only forgiveness and restoration.